Lord, I pray as we open your word, that God, you take this community of faith, of people you've called to yourself, and I pray that we would hear from you and that we would be changed. I pray, God, that we would redeem the time that you've given us, and Lord, that you would use your word to truly transform us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're in between series right now. We went through Titus, and we spent some time reflecting on Advent. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you go through series after series, and, and I firmly am one who has been impacted by expository preaching that has made an amazing impact on my life. And so I'm convicted by that approach, and I believe in it with all my heart. But, I, I, you know, the heart of exposition is seeking to be faithful to the text and to, be, to, to preach it in a way that is consistent with what the intent is. And what we've been doing is a little bit different since we opened up in January, starting at the New Year's Eve, was looking at reflections on the new year. And uh, we looked at Philippians 3 about two weeks ago. Uh, we looked at 2 Peter last week. We looked at four commands that the apostle gives. And we thought about those commands as it relates to jumping into a new year. We talked about living diligent, living considering God's patience, living established, living growing. And I want to ask you a question as we get started today. How are we going to do that? apart from a regular, steady diet in God's Word. And I want us to think about, as we get going again, you know, with the new year, and we're still early enough in it to be thinking about those things. And, and what I want to do this morning is explore various passages to look at the influence of the Word of God in our spiritual journey. The importance of the Word of God. I want to start in the Gospel of John. And as we start in the Gospel of John, I want you to turn over to John chapter 17. And the question I want you to ask yourself as we get started today, and I want you to be honest with yourself, is the Word of God shaping your life? Is it shaping your life on a regular basis? It's sort of... Uh, you know, you get nervous sometimes, I don't know about you, but going to the doctor or going to anywhere where you get in trouble, you know, like, how, how have you been eating? Or have you been flossing? Or uh, I remember uh, my dentist in Chattanooga when I was a kid, Wiley Carr, and uh, I would go in confessing. I haven't, I haven't flossed. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Let's get it out of the way. Let's just be honest. And maybe you do that when you get a physical. I've eaten way too many oatmeal cream pies. You know, you, whatever it is for you, you may go in saying, you know, I haven't eaten enough vegetables, I'm not drinking enough water, but I want you to think about something. How is your spiritual diet? Could it be, I mean, I wondered this morning, if you're sitting in, in, in your chair thinking, you know what, I'm stagnant in my spiritual life. And I want you to ask yourself the question, why might that be? 
And I want to encourage you this morning. I've been in situations where spiritual disciplines were taught, where I felt beat up, and I felt almost this legalistic sense of what I had to do more of. I pray today that we would get a view of the Word of God that would captivate our heart, that it would help us to see the goodness and the grace of God that would move us to the kindness of God and how he's revealed himself. And it would compel us to love him and to seek him in his word, not out of simple duty, but out of love and out of a desire of fellowship for him. And that can only happen by the Holy Spirit of God. This morning, John 17, I've entitled this message, The Sanctifying Power of the Word. The sanctifying power of the word. And and what we're going to do in starting in John chapter 17, we're going to read verse 13 down to verse 17. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy, my joy, fulfilled in themselves. This is a remarkable, remarkable verse. Jesus praying to his Father. I'm coming to you. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you realize that that's speaking not only of believers before us, but it's speaking of us here in this room? That Jesus desires that we experience his joy. And if we follow the context, how might that be? What might be the means through which God has designed that we experience his joy, the joy that Christ walked in? He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I want us to think about this passage for a second. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. When we look at verse 13, we we begin this, this, this joy that Jesus speaks about. And then in verse 14, I have given them your word. When we think of the word sanctify, the word sanctify is, is really a word worth pondering and considering. It, it, it's like... I was looking at one uh, commentator on the meaning of this word, sanctify like holy, comes from a Hebrew root meaning separate. That holiness in its separation from sin and its dedication to the way of righteousness. Separation from sin, dedication to the way of righteousness. If you took that idea of the word and brought it back into what Jesus says, you would be left with the idea of grow them in holiness 
lead them in righteousness and separation in the truth. Your word is truth. A great preacher of the word, Warren Wearsby, once said, the means of their sanctification, no less than the means of their protection, is the word of God. And this morning, I want us to look at the sanctifying power of the word, and I want us to consider what this looks like practically. What does this look like in the day-to-day? As we live dependent and yielded to the word of God, in what way or what are some of the ways that God's word brings about sanctifying power within our lives? How do we examine this? How do we consider this? This morning, I want to look at five ways God's word is sanctifying us. Five ways that God's word is sanctifying us. The sanctifying power of the word of God. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a comprehensive list. My goal is to prayerfully encourage all of us to see the invitation that God gives us in his word, the calling to walk with him, the calling to be in his word. And my prayer is, is that if you're not in God's word on a regular basis, that you would see the means of which that God has called us to grow is through his life-changing word. Five, I'm going to give you six, actually, six ways God's word is sanctifying us. The first one that really impacted me in, in reviewing this and thinking about the implications of John 17, 17, is that he renews us in his word. He renews us in his word. When you think about salvation and you think about like you go to Colossians and you read about what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to have union in Christ? You begin to learn about these realities that the old man's been put away, the new man's been put on, that we have been renewed through this glorious salvation. But there's, there's something fascinating. We've experienced a renewal, but we are consistently being renewed. We have been renewed, but we're in the process of continuing this renewal. And that's what a lot of theologians talk about when they mean sanctification this progressive growth in godliness, God working out of us who he's made us in Christ. But this renewal, the passage that I think we're very likely familiar with, go over to Romans chapter 12 here. Romans chapter 12, and I want us to consider this renewing power of the word of God. And we read in Romans 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We talked about that passage, and so many of you have read this before and, 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 and really pondered its meaning to walk, presenting your body a living sacrifice to lay down your life, unlike just the sacrifice of dead animals, Paul says, no, you live presenting your body as a living sacrifice. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When we think about that word renewal, it's a fascinating word. It means to renew qualitatively. And one lexicon says, therefore, a renewing or a renovation, which makes a person different than in the past. Paul here is saying, look, don't be pressed into a mindset of the world. Don't be pressed into a mold, but be renewed, be changed, be, have the word of God renovate the way you think in your mind that brings active transformation in your life. I remember I had a, a choir teacher when I was young, and uh, she made a big impact on me. I told you I, I, I didn't want to be in choir. I only wanted to be in choir because my best friends were going to go to choir. And I, I looking back, I realized that it was, we just thought it'd be fun. There was a lot of girls in there we wanted to be in the choir with. And we went in there, and they all left, and my mom would let me quit. It was sort of a nightmare. And uh, I remember we would sing, and, and I always tell my mom, be like, Mom, I'm, I'm the tallest kid, and I'm in the middle of the choir, and they're all short. And when we sing, I'm, everyone's looking right at me. I was like, and I can't sing. And she's like, you can't quit what you started. You're not going to go in there and sign up for choir and quit. I'm like, Mom, please. She's like, nope, you're going. Well, the choir teacher made an impact on me. Uh, I remember there was one proverb I had to write over and over, and I think it was, he who hates discipline is stupid. I think it was Proverbs 12.1. I don't quote me on that, but I think it was. That was one of the things I remember about that class. I had to write it like a hundred times. But, um, but I remember one of the things that she impacted me on that I was listening was the, the proverb in Proverbs 23.7, and she would say this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'm curious, like, how you're thinking in your heart. And how is it, how do you begin to think in your heart? Think about it. How do you think in your heart? What is it that takes place to bring about the thoughts of your heart? It really is what you immerse yourself in. You know, it, it, it's sort of uh, convicting, I think, if, if we're all challenged with the idea that what we immerse ourselves in is going to have great impacts on the way we think about life. And I'm just like you are. I am challenged daily with the ways in which we can interact with media. It's pretty amazing and pretty scary how many opportunities we have to interact with media on a daily basis, isn't it? There's a lot of advantage out of that. There's a lot of blessings that come out of that. But are you with me? And I think I'm sensing some of the size collectively of like how you can get lost into social media and all of a sudden 45 minutes went by and you've really looked at nothing. What do you think's happening with an unguarded filter when it comes to what you consume on Netflix, what you consume on YouTube? what you consume in every possible platform. What's happening? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And here's the danger. If you're not careful, you're being pressed into the pattern of the mindset of the world. 
the way you think about materialism, the way you think about relationships, the way you think about your self-image, the way you think about every part of your life. And here's the danger. The danger is, is that we are being conformed to the mindset of the world and we don't even realize it. And Paul says, look, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Have you gone through a renovation lately at your house? A renovation is, is pretty amazing and, and pretty expensive because normally when you start a renovation, you keep going. You realize what else looks bad and you think, oh no, I got to do this now. But I remember the first house I ever had my name on the mortgage. I had a bathroom that needed a lot of work and everything in that bathroom came out. And it was old and it was nasty. And I remember watching that process, hiring a contractor, and he came in there and he told me, look, you got to get this out, this out, this out before. And that way uh, you, won't have to charge, you don't have to pay me to do all that. You can get that out. So I got out the vanity and got out a lot of the other stuff. And he came in. And in the process, all that was in there came out. What was in there now was gone and there was new within I tell you, you may be here today and your mind has been so corrupted by garbage. It's true, isn't it? Garbage in, garbage out. You know, I've heard stories over the years of testimonies of people that were so immersed into the nastiness of pornography and they came to church with this such a guilty such a distorted mindset, and they cried out to Jesus, and they cried out to his word, and they ran to his word, and over a process of time, God took that mind so distorted by the stains of the world and renewed it. And God took people that had a heart for filth and immorality, and he transformed their desires. And whether it be pornography, whether it be other types of lust, what we're in desperate need of, because we still deal with our flesh, we're in desperate need of the Spirit on a regular basis, renewing our thought patterns, not being conformed to the mindset of the world, but where the Spirit works. The mindset of the world is replaced by the wisdom of God, a renewal. God renews us in his word. It's life-changing. We're in desperate need of a godly, Christ-centered perspective, and the sanctifying power of the word works in us because God renews us. But not only are we renewed in the word, the sanctifying power of the word is seen in the way in which he grows us. In his word. Uh, this would be a fun assignment because if I said, okay, I want y'all to go search your Bibles and I want you to look for ways in which we grow by the word, you would come up with a lot of amazing examples. There's a lot of places we could go here. And I'm not pretending this is the only one, but I want you to think about this. We know that we grow in the word from several different scriptures. One of them, first Peter chapter two, he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And then Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it 
you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, now I, want, I want you to think about something. Okay, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow. I've never thought of it this way, but I want to look at a verse and I want you to think about how growth is observed in this passage, okay? I want you to think about 2 Timothy 3.16 and look at it through that lens. How do you see growth here? Now, notice what he says about Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching or instruction, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, if you go back into this verse, look at the first one. What is it profitable for? What's the first one, class? Profitable for what? Teaching. Instruction. All that you need to know as a Christian, all that you need to know about who God is, God has designed to be received through the revealed word, okay? It's profitable for teaching, instruction. What else is it profitable for? Reproof. Reproof is the easiest, simplest way my mind can grab onto this. It's, it's just like a GPS. If I am going the wrong direction and I, I, I deviate from the course that is on the map, Immediately, whether I have sounds that tell me that I'm off course or I have different colored lines on my GPS, things start happening on that screen, don't they? Craziness, right? The Holy Spirit of God not only instructs you as to how to live, but God is so faithful because he works in our lives through his spirit that as you deviate from his will, he reproves you. It's a loving word. He shows you where you're off course. But he doesn't leave you there. It's not just that he shows you you're off course. He convinces you that you are off course. It's one thing if I tell you you're off course and you look at me and think, well, that's your opinion. It's another thing if I tell you you're off course and you say, you know what? I agree. I am. God has a way through the, his spirit to take his children, not only instruct them, but to reveal to them and reprove them when they're out of the will of God. But then the next word is the word correction, used later on after the word was used when Paul wrote it later. And it gives you the idea of setting a broken bone, taking that which is broken and straightening it, correcting it. God not only reveals to me that I'm off course, but he puts me back on the track. But then what happens? The word of God is profitable for training. There's a process here. He, he instructs me. He reproves me. He corrects me. He trains me. And, and then we see in verse 17, this, this beautiful fruit of the influence of the word. It says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And, and one of the words here means it's like if I gave you a boat and you were a fisherman it's not just giving you an empty boat. It's, it's outfitting the boat to make you successful. It's giving you a trolling motor. 
It's giving you the depth finder. It's giving you the motor. It's giving you the rods. It's giving you the bait. It's giving you the lures. What happens? It's outfitting everything you need to be equipped. The word of God grows us. I want you to be excited about that because there's hope. I want you to think about this teenager. How would this apply to you? You're a Christian living in a world where if you're bombarded by anything, you're bombarded by social media, by the internet, by TV, by shows, by everything. How do you grow in this kind of world? You get into God's word and it teaches you. You begin to understand who God is. You understand the character of God because you read in passages about his holiness, about his mercy, about his judgment. You begin to understand how to look at God because the scripture teaches you how to do so. But then, guess what it does? As you seek to walk with God, it will show you when you're out of his will. And how might this look for you, teen? It might show you that your attitude towards your parents is sinful. It might show you that your pursuits are off track. It could reveal sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes, destructive relationships. But as you submit your heart to the word, as an eighth grader, 10th grader, sophomore in college, fifth grader, fourth grader, wherever you want to go, as you pray and say, God, I believe in your assessment of my heart, would you give me grace to follow you and obey you? Guess what happens? God corrects you. He puts you back on track. This is what the Christian life is. It's a walk with God. The word of God grows us. And what does he do? He trains you. He equips you for all that he calls you to be. And I want to ask you a question. If you're here today and you're not actively under this divine influence within your heart, how can you be walking according to his will? The third way, not only does he renew us and grow us, he assures us in his word. I came across a quote. I love reading uh, quotes from, from faithful men that have gone before us. J.C. Ryle, just a powerful preacher of God's word, love God. Listen to his wisdom here as he writes about assurance. He writes how to lose the assurance of your salvation. How to lose the assurance of your salvation. He says, inconsistency of life is utterly destructive of peace of conscience. The two things are incompatible. They cannot and they will not go together. If you will have your besetting sins and cannot make up your minds to give them up, if you will shrink from cutting off the right hand and plucking out the right eye when occasion requires it, I will engage, you will have no assurance. 
a facilitating walk, a backwardness to take a bold and decided line, a readiness to conform to the world, a hesitating witness for Christ, a lingering tone of religion, a clinching from a high standard of holiness and spiritual life, all these make up a sure receipt for bringing a blight upon the garden of your soul. Ryle says, facilitating walk, a readiness of conformity, a lingering tone of religion, a clinching from a high standard of holiness and spiritual life. And I'll tell you this, from my own experience, in my own journey of walking with Christ, these realities are void of God's word. You ever notice that? You can't tolerate besetting sin and have an active devotional life. It just doesn't work. You can't do it. It's impossible because your heart is drawn in a different direction than running to the scripture. And, and all of these I want to encourage you with here. Today you may be here, and the reason you're not living out of a joyful assurance is due to the fact that you're not regularly in the word of God. You live, and if someone says, do you profess Christ, you would say amen. But if someone said, are you living joyfully assured that you are a Christian, you would look, maybe put your head down and say, I long for that, but I'm not. And I want to encourage us. This assurance comes from whom? Paul says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I want you to think about that. As we embrace the word of God, how does that bear witness with our spirit? How does the spirit use the word to bear witness with our spirit that we're children of God? I want you to consider this. Think about a passage like James 1, where James says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. And then he says, which is able to save your souls. And, and I, would, I would encourage you to consider that the salvation he's speaking about in this verse is not justification. He's speaking about the Christian who is regularly rescued by the word of God. I love this. James is saying, look, put away filthiness, rampant wickedness, Receive with meekness, with teachability, the implanted word that God has put within you, which is able to rescue you. You move down a couple of verses and you see another reality in verse 25. But the one who looks and do the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Here's the encouragement. As you walk with Christ in the word daily, you know what begins to happen? You begin to experience the rescuing influence of the spirit in your inability. Those people that you struggle with loving, God begins to rescue you as you look to him in his word. The trials that you face that you don't know how to process, God begins to rescue you by giving you wisdom in your circumstances. You go, you go on and on and on, and what happens? You experience liberty, 
liberty, a liberty that does not come apart from the word. Does that make sense? Yes, you can profess Christ, you can go to church, but here we're talking about a fellowship with God in his word that as you walk in, you experience a liberty that the people who are not in it can't experience. And this rescuing coupled with this liberty is one of the ways the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. I'll give you an example. Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Does that make sense? Like the, the, the unbelieving world looks at the scripture as folly and they don't understand it. Why? Because it takes the spirit in order for us to understand it. And then Paul says, the spiritual person judges all things, but his himself to be judged by no one. And then he says something remarkable. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have what? The mind of Christ. And because we have the mind of Christ, and because we have spiritual discernment as it relates to his revealed truth, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit as we're in the revelation of God. I'll give you another example. Psalm 19, we read about the word. The psalmist here is David. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, wait a minute. That's not just, I believe with all my heart here, David speaking not only as a sailboat is moved by the wind, as the Spirit gives him the words to write, ensuring that this is a divine product. But here, I believe he speaks from experience. He had had his soul revived in the word. He had experienced wisdom as a simple man. He had rejoiced in his heart. His eyes had been open to the purity of the command. As he's in the word of God, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. He echoed the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And in his heart, as the spirit worked, he longed for the word of God. More to be desired are they than gold. It's when we are in the word of God, as these realities are experienced in our own heart, guess what happens? You Walk in the word, the spirit opening your eyes to who God is and to who you are. And what does it do? It echoes the spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God because the spirit is opening our eyes, even experientially to knowing who God is in his word. And I'll tell you today, you're, you're listening to someone who's gone through battles with assurance in my now 44 years of, well, no, I'm not that old, 42, 42 years of walking with Christ. 
And what I've learned over that time is when I lacked assurance and I lacked the joy of assurance, I was neglecting and I was drifting away from a regular influence of the word. But when my heart was in the word of God and the spirit was drawing me to him in that truth, I lived assured of who I was in Christ. Fourthly, not only does he renew us, he grows us, he assures us, he strengthens us in his word. Where does he strengthen us? I think we can make a case that we could just land where Paul tells us where he strengthens us. For this reason, I'll bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. God takes his word and he strengthens us in the inner man. He strengthens us in Christ. My, one of my favorite passages that deals with the power of scripture is as Paul prays for the church at Colossae. And he prays, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. And he prays that they would be controlled by the word. Notice what he writes. Asking that you may be filled. It's the idea of controlling. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Wow, look at all these results. And then look at the next one. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. It's like if you've got ingredients, an ingredient list. I'm not a cook, but every once in a while, I try to see if I can do anything. Usually cookies or something, right? But it's basic 101, elementary, kindergarten stuff. But you know what? Let me give you some ingredients here. If you take a person and you throw in some humility and you mix in some dependence upon God and you mix in faith, you mix in obedience, and you put in the word of God, guess what comes out? One of the things that comes out is strength. Strength from a divine place. He strengthens us in his word. You run to the word of God in the midst of life and in the midst of trial and in the midst of heartache, in the midst of a lack of direction, in the midst of whatever you may be in. And as you get in his word, praying for the right attitude and the right dependence and the right humility, as you seek to dependently obey the word of God that you read, the spirit mysteriously strengthens you for all that God has commanded you to be. And this is not separated from the miracle of Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is not separated from the miracle of being filled with the Holy Spirit. They all work in conjunction. It's like in Ephesians chapter 5. Do you remember when Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit? It lines up almost exactly with the command in Colossians 3.16 
to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And as you let it richly dwell within you, it strengthens you for all that results in Colossians 3, 16, 17, and 18. The final one today. I think of this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You get in the word. What if you're weak in faith? God strengthens your faith. Why? Where does faith come from? It comes from hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Finally, not only does he renew us, he grows us, he assures us, he strengthens us, but he establishes us in his word. He establishes it in his word. We could go many places. Last week, we hit on this idea of, of being established. And, and, and Peter starts out the book telling them that they had been established in the truth. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. They had been established in the truth, but then he warns them, as we saw last time, at the end of the book. You remember how he warned them? He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. That word established means to stand firm, stability, steadfast. The danger is that we go astray. I told you the story before, but being in the Bahamas on a missions trip, a lot of people roll their eyes at that point. But it was, it, it was a very impoverished place, but we got a chance to go to the beach, and I was on a raft with Mickey's brother, Tommy. Whew, Tommy Sawmills. And we were on this king-size raft. We called it the Beast. It was huge. It was, everybody had like a single twin-size air mattress, and I brought like this double, double X king-size. And everybody loved it. It was like so big that we could hardly put any other uh, mattresses next to me because it was taking up the whole room. And they were like, they were like, Stephen, you got to bring it to the ocean. It'll be amazing. We'll bring the beast to the Caribbean. And we brought the beast to the Caribbean. And me and Tommy were laying on the beast. And we're like, I'm 19, he's 24. And we start just going to sleep. And and we're drifting. And and we're just thinking it's funny. And then we, he's like, he's like, Barbara, look. And I'm like, where are we? <laughs> and we had gone around the corner and, and I was like a little bit scared and he was scared too. And he was a lot more athletic than I was. He was a real strong guy, 24. He said, man, we got to get back. What happened? We were carried away from where we once started. Let me ask you something. Are you being carried and tossed along in your life? Are you being tossed to and fro? How are you going to be established? How are you going to stand firm? You see, Peter says in that opening chapter, he says, you were established in the truth. And the way that we remain firm in our faith and keep a sure footing is by walking according to the word. And it will line up with a passage in Psalm 1. Listen to this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And notice the firm establishing of his life. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. He's stable in tumultuous times, in a season of adversity. Spurgeon said he's stable in a season of calamity, a season of prosperity. The power of the word of God. The sanctifying power of the word. He renews us. He grows us. He assures us. He strengthens us. He establishes us. And I promise you, if you keep looking, you'll find a lot more than five. I, I want to encourage you as we close today. Practically, how could you put this in motion? Practically, what would be a way to get into a rhythm of the word of God daily? I'll give you some ideas. If, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't get in the Bible at all. I like to come and hear the Bible preached, but I'm not in the word. Maybe just take the day of the calendar and start in Proverbs. And it's January 14th. Go home and pray and read Proverbs 14 and ask God to work in your heart and speak to your life. That's a starting point I'd be really encouraged by. Another way you could do it is you could take a small epistle like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You could come up to me and, and get some. I could give them to you. And you could just start reading them at, at your pace. You could start reading a chapter a day of one book. You could start with Ephesians and read Ephesians 1. And then maybe you don't read it Tuesday, but Wednesday you pick back up at Ephesians 2. And you read it until you're done with the book. And as you read it, you pray that God would teach you how to live, that he would show himself to you in his word, that you would be changed by his word, that he would reveal to you what to change, that he would instruct you, reprove you, correct you, train you. And you just read. And for 30 days, just keep reading that same letter. You're like, well, it took me seven days to read the whole book. And I'm starting back out on chapter one on day eight. Read it for 30 days. Could be that you do a five-day reading plan. I like those because I get behind on reading plans. And sometimes you feel like I've missed three days. I started the new year wanting to read the Bible through, and I've messed up on January 2nd. Now i got to wait till 2025. <laughs> well, let me encourage you. Just, just start wherever you are. If you miss two weeks, if you miss three weeks, if you miss six weeks, jump right back in. And I've got some handouts on the table right here. It's a five-day reading plan. You could just read the New Testament portion. Just take the New Testament reading of the day. Just start there. Just read the New Testament. You don't even read that other part if you're thinking, I can't even start there. But I would encourage you, it's doable. It's five days. I was convicted by a buddy of mine, not a buddy, an acquaintance of mine. And, and he spoke about his own journey in social media. And he said, man, I, I can get on Twitter and spend 50 minutes. And I don't even know what happened. And now I'm mad. Mad politically. I'm frustrated at sports. I'm mad about situations I didn't even know to be mad about. Anybody else relate? But he said, you know what's crazy? He goes, if I took that same time and I just spent it in God's word, he goes, do you realize I can almost read through the Bible in 60 days? It's amazing, isn't it? Like, 
my, my encouragement to you is not to put you up under legalistic bondage of what you need to be doing, but my encouragement is to say, if we can behold the wonder of God's word, the beauty of God's word, the sanctifying power of God's word, and can we as a family of faith pray that we would be people marked by it, shaped by it, because I'm telling you, these are not just, we'll experience renewal, growth, assurance, strengthening, establishing as we walk through this year. So I pray that we would be people of the book and that we would recognize the incredible grace and the mercy of the Lord and revealing to us his perfect truth, a truth that shows us Christ. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you for the opportunity just to be reminded of so many different characteristics of your truth in the Bible. And I'm just amazed that we barely touched the surface. And I pray that, um, I pray that we would be people who are living according to your holy word and that it would allow us and enable us to see the, the miracle of Jesus and that we would grow in awareness of all that you have for us. I pray for all of us, God. I pray that everyone here today, their hope would not be in their own deeds. It would not be in their own religious efforts. It wouldn't even be in their Bible reading. Their hope would be fully upon Christ and his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice for our sins. And I pray today that all of us would be dependent upon him alone for forgiveness. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.